I'm Joshua Kagi from The Christian Citizen, and this is episode 36 of Justice, Mercy, Faith. Today, the Reverend Stephen D. Martin, founder of the Lakeland Institute, joins Christian Citizen editor Curtis Ramsey Lucas for a conversation on video, technology, and other tools churches can utilize to enhance their ministries. Here now is Curtis Ramsey Lucas with the Reverend Stephen D. Martin. Stephen Martin is the founder of the Lakelands Institute, and we're going to talk today about online worship and online streaming recording, and I'm uh, happy to welcome Steve to the podcast today. Steve, glad to have you here. Hey, good to to see you, Curtis. Uh, Good to be here. So you have been a pastor and a communications director. You've produced documentary films, and you are the founder of the Lakelands Institute, which we're going to talk about a bit later. But I wanted to first ask you how your experience as a pastor, a communications director, a filmmaker, informs the work that you're doing today. In just about every day, every way possible. Um, I uh, uh, spent... Gosh, I don't know, um, 20 years in parishes in East Tennessee doing parish work in, in uh, just about every capacity you can think of. So I was um, uh, I was a youth director. I was an associate pastor for a couple of rounds. I was a solo pastor in a, in a uh, small town church, and I was a circuit pastor in a couple of uh, a couple of churches that were tied together in a circuit. Um, and I did that for, for a long time. And, um, the interesting thing is that, uh, you know, I, I'm not sure I was the best fit in the world for the pastoral life. Um, but, um, it was so formative. It was so incredibly formative for me. Um, and, and it was just really the kind of thing that, um, it just, it, it, it formed me. It formed me in every way, and 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 uh, and it's something I'm really interested in in trying to pay it back through. I got involved in uh, communications just out of a desire to. Uh, I, I've I've always been interested in in ways to to further the message of of uh, uh, getting the word out a little bit more and. Um, uh, I, you know, when I guess I'm, I'm, I'm an evangelist at heart because, uh, I think the, the basic evangelistic impulse is that you've, you've discovered something that, um, is so good and so exciting to you that you just want to share it and you want to find any way you can to share it. So, uh, I think that's really what, what's driven me through the years. And talk a little bit about your, your documentary filmmaking. What's been your your experience in that field? Well, I mean, that was, that was kind of an extension of it. I'm also a nerd, um, and, uh, you know, a, a tech geek kind of guy. And, um, <clears throat> I remember I was, uh, serving as an associate pastor at a larger church in near Knoxville, Tennessee, um, about the time where Adobe made it possible to, um, edit I know this is a really revolutionary concept, but you could edit video on a desktop computer. 
Uh, <laughs> you know, today, today that's uh, it. You know, that seems quaint because um, you can do incredible things on your phone, um, and uh, you know that's it's um, it it's just unbelievable. Um, uh, the, the abilities that you have today, but, but back in 98, you know, that was pretty revolution, revolutionary concept. Uh, it used to take a, a room full of, um, gear that was about, um, oh, I don't know. Um, uh, a few hundred thousand dollars worth of stuff. And that's what it took. Uh, and then suddenly you could just, uh, pump some video. It was pretty complicated back then, but you could pump some video into a computer and edit it. And, uh, I, I just, I was blown away. I was, uh, um, I, I also am a musician. I, I was a music major in college and, and that, you know, that's another thing that's just kind of in my DNA. Um, uh, and, and when I realized you could tell stories and combine pictures with music and words, uh, I was just a uh, completely, uh, blown away by the ability, the, the, the capacity that one would have, uh, with these simple tools now. And, um, that's what hooked me. And, uh, I, I, um, I started making documentary. I just had a, a big, a BHAG, a, a big, hairy, audacious goal of, uh, of making a documentary film that would be on, uh, shown on PBS stations. And, um, the name of the film was called Muslims in Appalachia. And it seemed like a very strange kind of ethnographic piece at the time, very obscure, but it actually went up to the, um, to the satellites, um, the PBS distribution system, uh, just right before nine 11. And, um, uh, at that time, uh, you know, it was an independent distribution. So, uh, it, it wasn't really on kind of the main PBS feed, but, uh, but it was available to programmers for them to, uh, to program it at whatever time they wanted to. And, um, it was, uh, it was a time when, we were looking, I think, I think, especially those people who pro who, who control those programming channels, they were looking for anything they could find that was even mildly sympathetic toward, uh, toward American Muslims. And, um, gosh, I, it was a rookie effort. I didn't, I, I know so much more now about that topic that, uh, you know, to think back at that film, it's almost kind of cringeworthy, but, um, but the net effect of it was, is that it, uh, back before we talked about things going viral, it definitely went viral and it uh, went to 70 million households over six months. And, um, uh, again, just blown away, uh, by this, um, this, this possibility that, uh, you know, a, 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 a dumb pastor <laughs> in, a, in a small town, uh, could, could take a computer and, um, and, 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 you know, produce a TV show, uh, on a, in his basement, uh, on nights and weekends. And it would, you know, bring this message that really became part of the national conversation. I mean, it really did. It became part of the national conversation about American Islam. And, um, and I was very proud of that and very blown away by it, but the, but, but, it, but that's really, um, it, it 
it fit my kind of, you know, guerrilla lifestyle where I, I never have money to do anything big, but I have big dreams. So um, I, I just, uh, it, it all came together and uh, I was hooked and I launched out uh, in 2005 to, to do that full time, making documentaries and doing strategic media for nonprofits. And that led me to my work at the National Council of Churches for five years. And now uh, to what I'm doing now, which is really kind of coming full circle and bringing those um, communication um, strategies and techniques back to local churches and back to uh, to what clergy are struggling with now as we're trying to live in this pandemic. So you were living in in Tennessee at the time you made that film, is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're not, and of course, yeah, and of course now you've you've been uh, in the D.C. area for. Uh, some number of years, yeah, uh, six sitting, years mm-hmm. living and working. And anyone who uh, lives and works in Washington D.C. knows that we see a fair number of celebrities here mingling among politicians who <laughs> want to be celebrities. Yeah, uh, you're also a, a, a great photographer and an expert selfie photographer. <laughs> so I have to ask, uh, what is your favorite selfie, and and how did it come about? Oh, I have several. Yes. <laughs> um, I don't, it wasn't a selfie, but I did actually snap a picture of, uh, of, of Lev Parnas, the, uh, um, the, the guy that was arrested trying to leave the country uh, after doing some dirty work for uh, Rudy Giuliani. Um, uh, you know, around this, some, some kind of weird scandal or in going on in Ukraine. I, I don't know if you remember it. Yes. I think there was an impeachment that, uh, was part of that, but I did, I, I was in the right place at the right time and snapped a picture of Lev Parnas getting into a taxi. And it's a, it's a glorious picture. I gotta say, um, not a selfie, but, uh, definitely, um, definitely a fun shot. I got one with Morgan Freeman. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, I'm proud of that. I got a great one with Bernie Sanders as he was walking up the street. Um, and then, um, and then there's, there's one that's, that's kind of, I'm, I'm a, I'm a equal opportunity. Um, oh, and Ted Danson. Yeah. He was just standing in the lobby, uh, as I was coming into the office one day and I was like, Whoa, (laughs) can I help you? (laughs) And, um, uh, but, but yeah, I'm an equal opportunity selfie grabber and, uh, I've gotten one with Mike Huckabee and, um, I've also, um, uh, got one with, uh, a person who I consider to be a, um, I, I'm not going to say a Hitler. That's a really terrible, you know, nobody, nobody is a Hitler, but I definitely hold him responsible for 400,000 deaths of Iraqi citizens. And that's Paul Wolfowitz, um, who is one of the architects of the Iraq war. Um, and I do have a selfie with, uh, with a genocidal maniac. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Tell us how you really feel. You don't have any, re- you don't have any, any real response to that. Do you Curtis? <laughs> so tell us about the, the Lakelands Institute. What's your your vision and purpose for the organization? What are the kind of resources that you're offering through that work? So again, you know, we're we're in a unique time right now. We're in a pandemic, and um, I remember when I was uh, still uh, working on Capitol Hill, and uh, the date was March twelfth. <laughs> 
Um, and uh, we were standing in the office and looking around and dominoes were falling everywhere. It just felt, you know, the NBA had decided it wasn't going to play any games. And then, you know, meetings and conventions and, and trips and everything that we had been planning to do, um, it just fell apart um, and, and toppled. Um, and, and we looked at each other in the office and said, um, you know, um, things have got to go. Uh, things have got to, um, you know, things are going to, things are going to change. Um, we're going to close up and, um, we're going to, um, um, we're going to just have to, to, uh, figure out how to deal with life, uh, differently. And um, we put together a, a few campaigns going in um, uh, into the into the Easter season, and um, uh, it all felt temporary. But as we were moving in, you know, to the into May, um, we we realized that it was, you know, we all, and I say we, we collectively, we all realized that, um, that, um, things were going to, you know, that we were going to be in this for the long haul. We were going to have to figure out how to do worship and ministry of all kinds from, uh, from somewhere else. And, um, and then do it in a different way. And that's when, you know, we all kind of rushed, you know, it, rushed to put together online services together uh, just any way we could. And everybody had a different way of doing it. Everybody had a different uh, uh, set of needs in their congregation. And, um, and when I um, got into the summer, I just realized, you know, this is a place where I really have a voice. This is where I can, I can really be of assistance because there's a lot of people who can talk about video. There's a lot of people who can talk about streaming and how to do that better and everything. But there are very few people, I think, that have both the, um, uh, the, the media production uh, background, you know, 20 years of doing that now, 20 plus years, um, the ministry experience. And, you know, I mean, the big thing for me is the passion to try to figure out how to connect people through video and through technology. I, that's something I've just been interested in ever since I did Muslims in Appalachia, because when I did Muslims in Appalachia, the phenomenon that I noticed was that, um, uh, <laughs> you know, when you, when you do these interviews with people, um, you, you capture a conversation with them and then you spend, you know, the next few months looking at their faces and hearing their voices in your living room or, you know, wherever your editing stuff is, you see these people and you encounter them through this medium that preserves a conversation that you just kind of had in a, in a, you know, a certain time and space. And, um, I, I found that I, I really connected with people that way. I, I, I would even say I fell in love with people through that medium. And I thought, wow, you know, if we can, if we can use technology like this, we can use video to break down the kind of barriers that stand between us. And, 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 you know, usually the, the biggest barrier we have is just simply time and space. Um, it's not the kind of, you know, political um, barriers that we talk about today. It's, 
it's just the fact that we can't be together uh, all the time, even in, in, in normal circumstances. If we can break that down through video, wow, that's really uh, a, a, a possibility. Well, now we're in this in this pandemic uh, thing in which uh, we're we're really having to separate and be apart. And people are feeling the pain of not being able to worship in their churches together. Um, and um, and yet we have technological tools that can uh, make this, um, it, you know, it just changes everything. It, 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 but we don't know how to use it yet, right? As the right. church across the board doesn't still really know how to do it. And so um, it's not that I'm an expert on it. It's not that I'm trying to, you know, uh, change the world through a certain kind of perspective or lens that I have. It's just that I find it infinitely fascinating and it happens to be where the conversation is right now. And gosh, what a great time to uh, to see all of your you know, various pathways in your life come together for a really important moment in the life of the church where we're trying to figure out how to connect with people and, and build community when we can't do that the way we have for 2000 years or more. <laughs> is that a good answer? I mean, is that, well, see, that that's, that's my really, passion a little bit? <laughs> yeah, no, that's the, that's kind of the heart of the conversation that I wanted to have is, you know, obviously this pandemic that we're living through has what I would call um, upset the ecclesiastical apple cart. Um, some of us were doing some streaming of worship, Others, not so much. Um, some of us are engaged in social media, church and, and web and all that kind of thing, but others not as much, you know. And so this comes along. Everybody, as you said, as you, you talked about uh, the middle of March there, suddenly everyone is scrambling that, you know, to figure all this out. And, and I guess what I wanted to talk with you about really is sort of the nuts and bolts of that. You know, how do we how do we do that? better just the the basics of of you know streaming a service or recording a service to post online uh but then also um some of the more complicated aspects of it you know the complexities of providing pastoral care in a context in which uh, we can't be together as we were so if, if you can talk a little bit about um some of the basics of that you know what, what's a good a good setup in a, in a sanctuary or uh, in a worship space for for streaming or recording and then and then maybe we can kind of go from there well I think the big picture idea that I'd like to get across and um, and I'm and I'm deriving this so I, I do a podcast too which is you know uh, I've tried to, to do one daily um, and the podcast is just simply it's called the online ministry mastermind and it's simply conversations like this one in which I talk not to you know, anybody that's, you know, got any particular big name or expertise, but really regular folks in, in the pulpits across the country and just, Hey, what are you doing? How's it working for you? Um, what's a, you know, and, and, and it's, it's all about sharing ideas and, and, and that's also been kind of my research tool to find out what's going on across the nation. And, um, the thing that I'm finding, the big idea is that, um, 
online worship and online ministry has freed us from time and space. And what I mean by that is that we have, for the the um, history of humanity, we have understood um, faithful leadership as taking place in a specific place, and that's, you know, the church, the synagogue, the mosque, et cetera, um, at a certain time. And, you know, Islam has uh, prayer times that are set up at, uh, you know, specific times of the day. Um, the Catholic prayer cycle, you know, seven times of prayer in the monasteries and so on. And, and then, of course, for all of the rest of us, it's 11 o'clock on Sunday morning. You know, that's when it all happens. Well, that's not true anymore. None of it's true. So the worship is not if you even if you lead a worship service in a sanctuary, um, at a specific time, it is not taking place in that place and at that time anymore. Now, even if you lead it in the sanctuary and you stream it to someone who is watching that on their mobile device, then they are worshiping while they're at home, while they are being um uh, you know, their kids are hungry and they're having to fix breakfast, but they're worshiping while they're fixing breakfast. They're, they're worshiping while they're having to take the dog out for a walk. Um, they are, you know, laying on their bed, you know, with their phone in their hand or their tablet in their hand. And they are uh, watching and being, you know, part of the worship service in that, uh, in that place. Um, and then, you know, it's also, as we're finding out, people aren't only watching it as it's live. They're, it's being archived on Facebook Live or YouTube or whatever, and people are coming to it later. Uh, uh, you know, and, and all of this has, has changed the game completely. So what I like to say and what I think I've really learned in the beginning of this whole process is that we should no longer, we are no longer, uh, again, we're no longer bound by time and space as we, uh, as we lead worship and as we lead ministry. Um, we are now in a position where we can, um, we can, we can do it any time and 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 actually the place of worship has now been transferred from the sanctuary where it used to take place to the mobile device the screen so now the place of worship is in the home it is uh it is out on the street as we're walking the dog you know it's 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 in a different place it is no longer um, around the altar, so to speak. The altar is now in, you know, it's, it's in this new environment. And I think that's the thing that's revolutionary about it. And that also changes the way we should be conducting those services. So I think that right now what I'm hearing is that there's a huge rush to get back to the sanctuary, get back to where we, you know, get back to in-person worship, because that's the only way we can do it, right? It's the only way. Um, and um, whereas uh, leaders have and, and pastors have been, uh, learning how to talk to a camera and talk to their phone and, and give their sermon to a phone or, a, you know, or, or, a, or a camera on a tripod or something like that. Now the rush is to go and is to go back into the sanctuary, put cameras in the sanctuary and be able to stream it all live. Um, well, okay. 
But is that really necessary? Um, what if, for instance, um, I mean, most of us are used to uh, doing our sermon two, three, sometimes four times a, a day, depending on the, the situation that our ministry is in. Let's say that uh, instead of trying to um, stream the service from the sanctuary live, which actually, you know, is not really suited very well. If you think about it, it's not very suited, suited very well for the people who are watching it on streaming media. Um, uh, what if we actually did a kind of a fireside chat style sermon uh, offline, uh, you know, do it on Friday afternoon when you're preparing your thoughts and mind for Sunday morning, uh, but just do a, do a rough of it, do something that's conversational, do something that's, that's, uh, that's your sermon, but it's, um, it's, it's got a different kind of more home-based feel to it. Right. And, Use that as your online worship service, you know, combine prayers with it, whatever, um, whatever seems to work, but use that as your online worship service. And then if you have the opportunity to go into your sanctuary and, uh, and, and lead worship there like we used to, do it and invite people to come to it. But the, but the thing that you developed for the folks at home is more suited toward the folks at home, you know what I'm, you know what I'm trying to say? So I, I really, yeah. the thing yeah. that I think is really exciting about this time is that it gives us a whole new set of tools about how to uh, connect people with the gospel. I, I just, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm sorry, Curtis. I'm, 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 I'm an eternal optimist about this. And, and um, I, I think we are in a transformational moment and you hear a lot of people say, well, you know, the, the church is every 500 years, you know, it's clear that it's, it gets shaken up and then, you know, some big transformation comes along. You know, the last one was Martin Luther. We're overdue for a big transformation. What if this is it? Uh, you know, what if this is it? What if for the last 50 years, the uh, mainline church has been in decline? We know that's true. And we know that the mainline church has just a fraction of the strength that it had, you know, in the 1950s. Um, and a lot of people are concerned about, you know, the death of the mainline, uh, the complete lack of influence. What if this is the next big opportunity? What if... We have an ability to transform our thinking. That's really all it is, just a way of thinking of it differently. What if we are able to transform our thinking, use the technology of today, like Martin Luther used the technology of his day to launch a movement? What if we use it today to turn that whole downward trend around so that this becomes the new territory for ministry that, like I said, is no longer uh, tied or bound to, uh, to time or space. Uh, it still requires all the pastors, uh, all hands on deck, you know, kind of stuff. And it really, um, 
what if, you know, that's, that's really what I'm, I'm kind of excited about right now. So, you know, back to the, Back to the question, you know, there's just a lot of different ways of doing this, and that's the exciting part. And and really, it's up to every pastoral leader to work with their church and figure out what fits best for their community. That's the main thing. I mean, it's interesting because we're, we've been living through a time where we see this huge transformation uh, in retail, for example, right? I mean, uh, the decline of brick and mortar stores, the rise of online shopping with Amazon and other kinds of things. I mean, we're probably not going back to a time where you have that amount of brick and mortar for for retail, right? We've, we've sort of moved on. And I think uh, in some ways we may be in a similar place with, with ministry uh, where we have this huge opportunity as you're talking about online to reach people. And, and also, I think the challenge of thinking differently about how we do that, because, I mean, in my experience with, with the shutdowns in March, we sort of immediately turned to, well, how do we take what we do on Sunday morning and just put it online? Mm-hmm. You know, without without any real thought about the medium is a different one. There's a different kind of intimacy now that you are preaching over a device in people's homes, for example. Right. But we're just right. trying to we're just trying to. Well, we're just going to take this thing that fits in this one box and we're going to try to cram it in this hole or, you know, different shape. Um, right, 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 right. Rather than thinking, well, you know, the sermon doesn't work the same way in this medium. Uh, as it as it does live, or uh, you know, we need to think differently. Um, so, I, I, it's I a really it's, exciting time, and I really yeah. I, I think that um, you know another change that's coming down the pike. You know, you and I both live in the D.C. area. It's uh, it's certainly a an area full of uh, probably the the best quality traffic on the planet. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, okay. we have good we have good traffic here, right? We have. <laughs> And, and what's what I even now that, you know, uh, we're seven months in or whatever to this pandemic and this shutdown, the fr- strange phenomenon about I remember, Curtis, and I don't remember if you noticed, but I remember there was a couple of months there where the traffic report, you know, which is a major segment in the local news around here, the traffic report went away because there was no traffic to report. Um, we saw the skies get bluer because the, you know, there was less ozone and, 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 you know, CO2 being pumped out by the, you know, the, uh, by the traffic around here. Um, and, and the strange phenomenon that I'm noticing, and I don't know if you are, but, um, traffic is still during the week. It's, it's, it's really low. It's easy to get around. You can get around town very quickly uh, in D.C. It's on the weekends that it goes bonkers and the traffic jams occur on the weekends. Well, why is that? Because in this pandemic, everybody figured out that the office may not really be necessary Right. And so this has a, a profound effect on cities. It has a profound effect on on infrastructure, et cetera. So what if, you know, what if this is this is a, a change that's happening all over the world? Some of us have figured out we actually like working at home better than going to an office. Um, and it really has some productivity advantages for us. So, you know, it, again, this is a this is a, a time that I think we're kind of underestimating the amount of rethinking that is going 
going on in society. Why wouldn't that same kind of rethinking be also taking place in the church? Why not? Sure. So one of the other um, pieces of this puzzle that I am, am thinking about is, um, and you've been a you've been a youth pastor um, back in the day is is children's ministry. You know how do we how do we keep connected with with kids as far as the whatever programming we're offering online? Um, how do we do that in a context in which kids are already spending enormous amounts of time during their week online with you know. Uh, classes and, right. and such, you know, what, what's a way to, cause I, 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 I kind of have a, a gut feeling that's a place where we're sort of missing right uh, in action a little bit. What, what do you think about how we go? About I mean, that? that's a tough one. That's a really tough one. Cause uh, when kids are, are uh, spending every minute looking at the, you know, we complain about how much kids are looking at screens these days under the best of circumstances. Right. But now when everything, you know, goes back to that screen, um, we don't necessarily want church to, to rest there either. Um, and um, uh, I think that, I think that, I, I think that our answers to those questions are really still very much in formation. I don't think anybody that I've talked to yet has a real answer uh, about this. Um, I do know that uh, I, I spoke with one youth minister on the podcast who said, you know, he just, he said, um, he, he just said, you know, uh, teenagers are fine with doing Zoom. There's no, there's no issues there. Young adults don't. Um, young adults with young kids in the fa- in the in the household uh, will not attend a um, a, a, a Sunday, you know, a, a um, uh, Christian education kind of event uh, on Zoom because it's just, you know, there's just always something that feels more urgent and more important. Um, and and it's a it's a different there's a there's a certain motivating factor you know when on sunday morning comes and you have to get you know it's this major project when you've got little kids in the house you know it takes you've got to make a conscious decision to be there at church and you've got to get everybody dressed and everybody fed and everybody you know in the car and you drive down the road and then you're in and you're committed right but if there's um if if you're if it's happening online then again there's a million distractions and how do we cut through those distractions, make our ministries appealing enough that people want to partake, but also don't contribute to the overload that we're already having, especially where young people are having to spend every minute in front of a screen, um, uh, that we don't contribute to that overload as well. Um, There may not be any clear answers to it, because, you know, as long as we are in a position of lockdown and, uh, and, and social distancing, when that starts to, uh, when that starts to really, you know, get better in the next few years, and we're not so concerned about it, um, about, you know, about social distancing, what I think will happen is especially where young people are concerned, where youth and children are concerned, and, you know, the church in general, um, it will it for those who who enjoy that kind of gathering that will continue um but there will also be an additional component 
that we learned how to do during this incubator time, this crucible time, there will be something else we learned how to do um, that will stay with us and will develop. And I think if we really, you know, apply ourselves to it, it'll grow and grow and grow. That's all I can really say to you on that answer. Cause I think it is a tough one. It's a tough, that may be the most challenging thing we've got to deal with right now. So you, you mentioned that, and I think rightly so this desire to, to get back to what was, um, almost, a, I think, a temptation, if you will, of, you know, just returning to what we perceive as normal and kind of maybe losing some of the lessons we're learning along the way in the process. But we're, we're coming into Advent and Christmas, and I know there's a strong pull um, for churches to gather in some way, uh, even if they haven't been since March. You know, my own church, I know, is having that conversation. And and here we are uh, with the, you know, the 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 virus is making this, you know, comeback, uh, not that it ever really went away, but what do you, uh, what do you recommend as far as some of those observances, which of course are so deep rooted in our, in our religious experience of, you know, wanting to be together for those kind of high holy days. Um, what do you recommend, uh, churches do, uh, differently around holidays like, Christmas. I'm talking to a few pastors who are, um, uh, you know, who have very, very good relationships with, with their very strong church councils um, and, and have a, you know, have a good, healthy conversation going on uh, around this question. One in particular that I'm aware of has talked about how their, their church council has said, nope, we're not coming back together in person, you know, through, I think, March uh, of this coming year. They're going to revisit it, you know, in March. Um, and, um, but the staff came together and says, you know what, can we do, can we just do Christmas Eve services, and I think the church is still in dialogue about that. But if they do Christmas Eve services, I think the way they're approaching that is to do a whole bunch of them, do a day full of them and actually take, you know, uh, make reservations. Um, I'm, uh, I'm aware that there is one um, uh, like a big community pool uh, in a, in one community that's uh, that they're uh, they're they're back in the summer when, you know, you couldn't, fill up a, you know, a swimming pool full of people the way you used to, they were booking uh, time slots for the pool, for the community pool on Eventbrite. Um, and, uh, and you would, you would, you know, buy a free ticket just like you would uh, for a concert or something. And you just basically use a, an app in your phone to sign up for a, a specific time to go to the pool. And something similar to that is happening with church services. So if you can't have more than, you know, 25% capacity in your church building um, during this day, uh, for instance, then that means you need to have four times as many services as you normally would on uh on, on uh, Christmas Eve. And then, um, uh, you would, you know, you, you might, um, you might have people sign up through an app, uh, like Eventbrite or something like that and buy a ticket or ha- you know, not buy a ticket, but have uh, obtain a ticket to go to a certain, uh, 
um, uh, certain service. So that's one way I think that it's being handled. Um, what I've also tried to get um, uh, across to people is that this is, uh, if, if you were going to try to do this kind of stuff online also, if you just can't get together, if you just can't get people in the same building together. And also we have to, you know, we have to, to remember that there's a lot of our people that aren't going to come to, um, they're not going to come to a church no matter how you do it. They're not going to come into a building and they should not be they should not be denied ministry uh, because they are uh, very cautious about their safety. Um, so, what is the main thing we need to get across if we were to construct an online service? I think it's connection. I think it's people. Um, I think we had an excellent opportunity to do this when we did all we had All Saints uh, Sunday just a, a couple of weeks ago. When you know we a lot of churches um, memorialize all the people who've passed away in the congregation over the past year. It's a very meaningful time. Well. What if, you know, uh, one thing that I advise people to consider was to um, uh, construct a, a, a like an animated slideshow uh, that becomes a part of your service in which you take pictures of, you know, you have pictures of these folks that have passed. Uh, they can be contributed by uh, family members or you probably got some old Polaroids in the church building that could be scanned, but create a, a, a moving uh, animated slideshow that's set to music that just puts faces back on the screen, you know, and helps us connect. We, we all love looking at pictures. We all look at, love looking at old pictures, but maybe that could be one way that we, um, that we, that we bring that component into our online worship um, when we can't be together, um, because I think, again, you know, during the holidays, it's the connections, it's the people that we care about. We want to see them. We want to talk to them. We want to be with them. And we have a, just a very, you know, basic human need to do that. And if we can't do it, what's the next best thing? And I, and I suggest that it, it might be uh, finding different ways of um, bringing people into the online experience, either through video and having different people bring greetings or, um, um, videos of people reading scripture, you know, whatever, but, but making sure that there's just a lot of human beings on the screen um, when you uh, have these services. Cause I think that's really what people um, need more than anything during the holidays. So you got into uh, communications. You had mentioned uh, just out of your own interest in uh, you know, sharing the word more widely. Um, so I guess one of the questions I have is a, is a structural one uh, for churches um, that rely a lot on volunteers uh, for the work that they do. But given the reality we're living in, given the sort of long-term implications of this, and given the opportunity to reach a wider audience online and through social media and things of that sort, is it time also for congregations to rethink uh, some of their staffing needs uh, to have a person on staff, even if it's part-time, doing the work of communications, coordinating uh, messaging around what's on the web and social media and handling online. Is that a, a direction we need to move more into, do you think? 
I would have said that before. Yes, I would say, have said yes to that before the pandemic. Um, sure. And I think this is uh, it's just a recognition of the world that we're living in now where um, where, you know, like it or not. I mean, it's a, we're a different society, completely different society uh, from the one we had in our heyday, you know, back in the 50s, let's say, um, in the Protestant churches in the United States. Um, it's a totally different society. It's, it's, um, it's changed in every single way you can imagine. And one of the ways is that we, we, we take communications for granted in every other aspect of life. Um, we, we, um, you know, it's part of our, our, um, shopping experience, our retail experience, and definitely part of our, you know, work day and, 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 uh, experience. And we watch TV, you know, and, and there's messaging behind everything that we see on TV. Why not in church as well? Why do we, uh, insist upon kind of relegating that to the, to, to the rest of the world when most of our people are, you know, are living in the world for one, and we should, we should be more savvy about, about that. And, and I would have said that before the, the, uh, the pandemic, I think it's, I think it's really necessary now to consider that, uh, as a staffing issue, because, um, really we, we, we have, I would say that one of our problems as mainline congregations, and I'm really not talking about the big, you know, church, multi-staff churches that, that really do have those resources, but, it's more a, a, a recognition of what's going on, I think, in small to medium churches, size churches, which is the majority of our church, the vast majority of our churches. Right. But we do we do think about um, uh, about pulpit preaching and we we hire specialists for that. Um, we uh, we think about pastoral care um, and hospital visitation, things like that. We hire specialists for that. Um, but then, you know, a lot of us are still sending out a paper newsletter in the mail <laughs> and, and, um, and I laugh because that's just not something that people do anymore. Um, uh, and, and, um, and being able to, to think about, you know, the vast power we have, again, I got to tell you, Curtis, in 1998, I did a documentary that went to public television and and hit um, 70 million households. I did Theologians Under Hitler in uh, 2005, and that did 38 million households. These programs were done on a shoestring, and uh, – it's not that it, it costs a lot to do big things anymore. It just requires creativity. And um, that's where I think we need to invest going forward. We need to invest in creative people. We need to get out of the way of our turf battles that take place in congregations and in judicatories and everywhere in between, you know, um, and we've got to recognize that, we none of us have the answers right now and it really needs to be a time where we're where we're intensely curious and creative and we try things and we break things and we um and we fail and we uh keep experimenting until we get it right but but more than anything that we share ideas 
that we just simply share what we're doing so that something, you know, that somebody's doing gets wrecked. Oh, wow. That, yeah, I could do that. I could turn my phone on at, at uh, when I wake up in the morning at, at 6 a.m. and do my uh, devotional. I could turn my phone on and kind of, you know, um, uh, recite back what I learned in my morning devotionals right now. I could put that on YouTube, on, on YouTube or, or, uh, or Facebook or whatever, you know, just, we just have to think differently and it's going to require churches full of people who are ready to think differently. Yeah. I need to, need to shake things up a little bit, but I like, uh, I like what you're talking about there, investing in, in creativity, um, thinking outside the box, which I guess, uh, in an institution that's, uh, got a 2000 year tradition, can be can be difficult at times. No kidding. <laughs> That's like that comes as a surprise to me, Curtis. <laughs> yes, it, it, it's, it's very slow. difficult. It is. It's very yeah. difficult. Well, uh, any final thoughts for our listeners? <laughs> Oh, I, I think we've covered it all. Um, I, uh, I would encourage all of our listeners to, uh, to go out and grab as many celebrity selfies as they can. Uh, it's a fun activity. Uh, when you recognize someone on the street and, uh, and you know that they're a big deal, then you just walk up to them and say, hi, can I get a picture with you? And hey, your friends will love it, right? That's, that's, the, that's the bottom line of this conversation. <laughs> No, I think, again, you know, I th what I think um, we all need to be thinking about today is um, that the church is, is in a wilderness. Um, I think the, the, the metaphor of the Exodus fits us today better than, than ever. Um, hmm. we, we have been kind of, you know, let's just let's just look back at that story real quick. If you've got time, um, Moses comes along and he gets this, he's got the burning bush. He's like, ah, you don't want me. I can't, you know, I can't rally people. Don't, Oh, don't, we got that taken care of, you know, Aaron will do that, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and there's this conversation in which uh, Moses goes along kicking and screaming. And then, you know, he, he stands in front of his people and says, let's, we're going to get out of here. And you gotta, you gotta wonder, you know, did, did, did everybody uh, that had been in, you know, in slavery is a singularly unpleasant experience for a society. Um, and, but you still think maybe people maybe talk back to him said, Hey, no, 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 I'm not in. And he's, oh yeah, you're in. Come on. We got, it's going to take all of it. Oh, you know, and they leave, they leave Egypt, they leave slavery. Well, we know that when people were out in the desert, they were saying, see Moses, we told you, we tried to tell you, we're going to die out here right. and we're going to, we're going to die of thirst and we got no food and you're, you know, you're, you've killed all of us. And, uh, and people were just longing to go back to Egypt uh, where, yeah, it was brutal. It was a brutal life, but, they knew how to live in that life. Right. And um, we are in that moment right now. Um, what happened, I think, in March is we all got kicked out of Egypt. Um, and, and I think we didn't really recognize that we were in Egypt, um, but we got kicked out and we got thrown into a world where we had to sink or swim. 
it was stressful. It was difficult. It was terrible. Um, but we did it and we can't really see the promised land yet. We don't even really know that there's one out there, but we do know what it used to look like. And so right now there's a huge gravity to go back to the way it used to be. Well, um, even if we go back to in-person worship, it's all changed. Everything has changed and it's going to be different going forward for years, if not permanently. And um, what I think we have to do is recognize that something has died, something we love, something that is, is infinitely valuable to us has died and we're now marching through the desert and it's painful. It's difficult, but I'll, I'll tell you for sure. I am convinced to every, every, you know, cell in my body that a better day is, is, is coming. It's available. It's there. It's ready to be uh, partaken of. It's going to take some work. It's going to take some struggle, but we are on the way and we can do it. And we will arrive there at some point. Everybody won't do it. Some people will, but not everybody. And I just want to really um, work with, um, with church leaders who are, um, who are interested in sharing the gospel as they've been called to do uh, and doing it in an effective way for this new um, what I'm just calling a new era. That's what I'd like to close with. Well, Steve, I want to thank you for the conversation and for taking the time to be with us today. I would like to thank you for inviting me to do that. It's always fun to talk about the things that you're passionate about. Thank you to this week's guest, the Reverend Stephen D. Martin. Our theme music is Believable Too by Peter Sandberg. The Christian Citizen is edited by Curtis Ramsey Lucas and is a publication of the American Baptist Home Mission Societies. The show, website, and newsletter are produced by myself, Joshua Gagey. Stories are copy edited by Hannah Estefanos. Our art director is Danny Ellison. The Christian Citizen editorial board is Dr. Jeffrey Hagre, Laura Alden, Susan Gottschall, Dr. Jeffrey Johnson, the Reverend Salvador Oriana, the Reverend Dr. Marilyn Turner Triplett, and the Reverend Reverend Cassandra Carcuff Williams. And our advisors are Sherilyn Crow, the Reverend Kimberly Payton Jones, the Reverend Stephen D. Martin, the Reverend Marvin A. McMickle, and the Reverend Harold Dean. To learn more about the Christian Citizen, visit our website, ChristianCitizen.us. That concludes this episode of Justice, Mercy, Faith. We'll be back with a new episode next week. Thanks for listening.